Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au. Let's, let's pray and jump right into this part. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit because you're the leader, the guide, and the teacher. Thank you for using me and for speaking to each one of us individually. And in a public setting like this, you always talk to us privately. Thank you for helping us and causing us to leave here bigger on the inside and better than when we came in. And Jesus, so grateful. You're our Redeemer, our Savior, the Captain of our salvation. You are our King. Amen. Uh, This morning, uh, I I, want to talk to you on on this, on on changing your natural future or your natural destiny to a supernatural destiny. So if you would, would you just say it out loud and and humor me and play along? Uh, Would you say natural destiny destiny. changed Changed. to a supernatural supernatural destiny. destiny? And so start here in the book of Romans uh, chapter 10 and uh, verse uh, 8. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. And, and these are scriptures you've probably heard before uh, because they're scriptures that are often included anytime there's a, a booklet or a track on, uh, on, on uh, how to be saved. Uh, but this is Romans chapter 10. If you go back to Romans chapter 1, you find that this was not written to people who were unsaved telling them how to get saved. It's written to the church or the Christians who were in Rome in the first century, and it's written to people who are already born again. How many today you're already born again? Okay, now let me ask you a question. Wouldn't it be a bit unnecessary for me to tell you how to get born again? You've already been there, right? You've got the t-shirt, you've done it. And so I I submit to you that the Apostle Paul isn't writing to them, telling them uh, like a salvation message of, hey, here's how you get born again. But you read it all in context and he's talking about faith, but he's telling them, here's how all of you have used your faith and it's the only thing all of us Christians have in common that we've all used our faith for. Because uh, uh, Christians, for the most part, not talking about you, of course, but the people who are not here, we're going to talk about them quite openly. Uh, But Christians, for the most part, love to disagree and fight. And so, uh, you know, uh, it's been 31 years ago now. I I had been a private pilot for about a year, and uh, our ministry had a a little small, little four-seat airplane, and we got stuck in one town, and I had to be a few hundred miles away to speak at a church as a guest. And so the clouds closed in, and I didn't have an instrument rating at the time. So I I, uh, found an instructor who was an instrument pilot and hired him to just fly with me. And he was a Christian, so he gets in this little airplane with me, and we were both too big for the airplane. And so we're just kind of mashed up against each other, and it's, it's going to be uh, about three hours of, of uh, real close fellowship. And, uh, and, and, and this was, you know, long enough ago that we, you know, we didn't even have on headsets. You know, now you have nice noise-canceling everything, and it's wonderful, and God bless Bose. But... Uh, uh, he, as soon as the airplane takes off and we got above the clouds, because it was a thin layer, as soon as he gets up above the clouds and we're flying along, he, 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 you have to yell to be heard. So he yells at me. He said, 
you're a preacher, right? And I go, oh, no, here it comes. And I said, yeah. He said, well, I've been wanting to be where I can ask this of a preacher. And I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be a hard question. And I'm kind of bracing myself for it. And so he goes, he goes, I'm a Christian. I go, great. He said, but here's my question. There's only one way to get to God through Jesus, right? And I said, yeah. And he said, then my question is, and no one's ever been able to answer this for me. I went, oh, God, it's going to be hard. And he goes, how come there's so many denominations? And I went, that's easy because Christians love to fight. <laughs> now, I can only speak with some level of, of, of expertise on the little part of the world because the, the, where we live in the U.S., I was actually born in that state. I know that state. I know our tribes. And in our part of the world, the predominant Christian group are Baptists. But even among the Baptists, you have Southern Baptist, Northern Baptist, Independent Baptist, Primitive Baptist. They carry clubs. I mean, there's all these different divisions of Baptists. And, and how come? And, and, and a lot of them won't talk to each other and don't like each other. My, my grandmother, uh, she was born in the late 1800s. She was a tent evangelist beginning in uh, uh, the end of World War I. And, uh, and she was a, a Methodist, had grown up as a, a, had gotten saved as a young Methodist girl and then became filled with the Holy Spirit. So here she is, a spirit-filled, and, and her first husband had died of the uh, flu pandemic that went around the world. And so she's a, she's a single lady with a, a little daughter, and by the time she's 20 years old or 21, she has her own Model T pulling a trailer with her own tent. It's all paid for, and she's setting it up in cities across the southeastern part of the United States holding tent revivals. She was way ahead of her time. And, uh, and so, and my grandfather, his first wife had died, and as they said, of a fever, and he had two small children, and he went to one of her tent meetings, and as he says, I got converted, and they got married six weeks later. So they had three children from their previous marriages, and then they went on to have four more, of which my mother was the baby girl. And, uh, and so my uh, 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 grandmother, though, uh, uh, you know, she was considered, you know, uh, uh, Pentecostal. And so uh, they had among the uh, uh, Pentecostal groups in the uh, early 1920s, they split over something called the necktie issue. And so you had a whole group of people who, I mean, they'd all gotten filled with the Holy Ghost. That should help. But you had a whole division of people who said, if you don't wear a necktie uh, when you come to service, you're being disrespectful and dishonorable to God. And it's right, you could possibly go to hell over it. 
And then you had another whole group that took the opposite view and said, if you do wear a necktie, you're trying to put on some kind of pretend you're something that you're not, and you're not being honest before God, and you're probably going to hell. And so they split and wouldn't be together and form separate Bible schools and had a church split over, a denominational split over that. Christians love to fight. When, when it comes to uh, the rapture of the church, you have folks that say there will not be a rapture. You have folks that say there'll be a rapture before the tribulation, you have, and they're called pre-trib. You have folks that say there'll be one after the tribulation, they're called post-trib. And then you have folks that say it'll be in the middle, they're mid-tribs. And then you have other folks that say, we're in the tribulation right now. <laughs> when it comes to water baptism, you have folks that say you have to dunk them and get them completely submerged. And some of them, if they're a little bit of a problem, you should hold them down two or three minutes. <laughs> and, and then you have others that say, no, 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 no. You're supposed to just like sprinkle, sprinkle, sprinkle. You know, there's a step to it, too, because they're backing up. Sprinkle. And then I'm sure somewhere in the world, there's people that go, no, just line them up and hose them down. Just hose them down. And and I'm sure I haven't, I, I, you know, uh, uh, I was in Nigeria and, and, uh, years ago, and uh, we're driving along, and and, and, and we're out in a, in a, a, a rural-type area, you know, kind of in the outback. And we go along, and there was a, a hand-painted sign that pointed down this road that, you know, we couldn't see where it we went. It just pointed that direction. And it said, First Disco Church. <laughs> and I just thought, what are their services like? You know, so... <laughs> so Christians are interesting. It's no wonder the Bible says God sits in the heavens and laughs. <laughs> so the one thing we have in common is we got saved. And, and I always love when I meet somebody who's a Christian saying, tell me, what, what was your journey? How'd you get there to where you had faith in Jesus as your Savior? And, and, and it's, 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 so many times it's unique. And, uh, uh, but, but let's start reading here. Romans chapter 10 and uh, verse 8. Uh, now, before, wait, before we read this, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, 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 if, you're gonna, if, if you're a writer downer, do we have any note takers? Let, let me give you, I'm going to give you five things just real quick to write down. And it's five steps to working faith, to your faith actually working. Five steps to working faith. And, and so, uh, and the, the steps are actually very simple, but they're necessary. And they're the steps that uh, uh, you go back and read all of the Old Testament heroes of faith, men and women, who, who the Bible lists as heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, you'll find they all did these five steps. When you read through the New Testament, when Jesus you know, told the Roman centurion or he told the lady with the issue of blood or uh, he told the, the woman who was the Canaanite uh, uh, woman, uh, uh, your faith has made you whole, your faith has gotten the miracle for your daughter, your faith has gotten the miracle for your servant, and great is your faith. When he told them these things, you find they followed these five steps. They, these five steps will always be in the miracle. And so uh, number one is this, 
Step number one, and these, somebody, when you hear this, you say, well, that's awful simple. God keeps it simple, okay? Step number one is this one, hear God's Word. Hear God's Word. Say it out loud, hear God's Word. Step number two is this, believe it. You're already helping me, thank you. Would you say it one more time, believe it. So step number one, hear it. Step number two, believe it. Step number three is, is, the, most, is, is the, the one that seems to be left out the most and, uh, uh, and is a place that people uh, uh, don't do this one. And that is agree with it. Agree with it. And, and there's two basic ways you agree with God's Word. You agree with it by saying the same thing and verbally agreeing with it and say what God says about you. I mean, if he says I'm healed, I'm going to say I'm healed. Uh, if he says I'm more than a conqueror, you know what? I'm more than a conqueror. Uh, if he says it, I'm going to agree with him because I figured out a long time ago, God is smarter than I am. And if I'll agree with him, he'll change my life. And then the other way to agree with him is with my actions. So with my words and with my actions. And then number four is this, always view your circumstances. Because right now you may be in the middle of, of very desperate circumstances. Or you may be in the middle of great circumstances. But always view your circumstances as temporary in light of God's Word. And as human nature, uh, when things are going well, people automatically view their circumstances as temporary. Because if it's going real well for a person, someone will usually say, well, you know, enjoy it while you can because we know it's about to change. Never stays good very long. And, but if it's going bad, I'll tell you what, it's about to change. Now, human nature says, yeah, I know it's going to get worse. But no, you agree with God, he'll change it to his plan for your life and it'll get better. And then number five is this one, you'll have it. You will have it. So here in uh, uh, Romans chapter 10 and, and verse 8, it says, but what saith it? The word is, is, and this is King James, it says it's nigh thee or near you. And then it says two places, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. And then verse 9 gives the example that all Christians have done. If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, or Jesus is Lord, and will believe and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be. In other words, then this is what's going to happen. Thou shalt be saved. Now, let me just stop there and run over it a couple of times. If you'll say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Now, let me ask you a question. If you don't say it with your mouth and you don't believe it with your heart, is Jesus still Lord? Is that the title he still holds? If you don't believe it, did God still raise him from the dead? In other words, if you say it, and believe it or you do not it doesn't change jesus but if you'll agree with heaven it'll change you now do you have to have a doctoral degree in theology to pull that off no you know when i did that i was five years old 
Somebody said, were you really smart? No. I was sitting in a church service, had grown up in church. The pastor, my, my pastor had finished his message and gave an invitation to anyone who wanted to accept Jesus and be saved. And something went off in my five-year-old heart. And I reached over, I was standing you know, by my mom and dad, and I, I, I got their attention. I said, I want to go down. And being five, you know, my parents looked at me and, and, and you know, in whispered kind of tones, because you're in church, you know, so you're not supposed to talk. And they said, are you sure? Do you, you know, and in essence, they were saying, do you know what you're doing? You know, this is, and I said, yeah, I've got to go down. I was the only one. So I, I go down to the church, and, and, and my pastor was very kind. And so I remember, you know, he took me by the hands and led me in a prayer of receiving Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And for Jesus to forgive me of my sins. What sins did I commit? I was five. It wasn't like I'd been in a gang. I mean, I'm sure I caused somebody a headache or two. But it wasn't like I was selling dope, you know. I was five. Wore my diapers low. You know, I was five. But the wild thing is, this was a Sunday morning you know, in the, in the southeastern part of the United States where we have massive humidity, mosquitoes that carry small children off. You know, it's, it's a semi-tropical climate. We have alligators. You win. You have more things that will kill people here, okay? You win. But uh, I went outside, and I remember, I can still, it's, it's like it replays a video in my head. I remember walking outside, and it was as if, uh, you ever uh, uh, been in your car when uh, uh, maybe the rain just came after it had been dry and dusty and, and it was just a small rain and, it, and people in front of you threw stuff up from, that was on the roadway and, and your, your windscreen is just smeared with bits of grease and mud and just whatever was on the earth is now on your windscreen. It, it, it was as if I went outside and somebody had cleaned the earth. The sky was bluer. The flowers were brighter. Everything was more vivid. I was five, but now I had the life of God on the inside of me. Did I understand what all had, completely what had happened? Could I, could I articulate it? No. But that's the beauty of it. You can exercise faith in God, and you don't have to completely understand it. For instance, how many of you came here today in some type of vehicle? Okay, how many of you had to crawl here on your hands and knees? How many of you came here for some type of motorized vehicle? Would you please play along? Man, you make me work for this. So, 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 so everyone can see, if you came here today in a motorized vehicle, especially if you were the driver, would you raise your hand up and hold it up, up high enough and long enough? Now, I want everyone to look around at all the people who came here in a vehicle. Okay, you, may, you can lower your hand. Thank you for playing. Now, I have a second follow-up question. How many of you understand 
that when you got into your vehicle, you, you could go ahead and diagram this out, fix it if it was broken. When you got in your vehicle and you either inserted a key and turned it into the ignition, or you have one of the newer cars where you got in and you just had a flob and you touched a button on the panel while holding the brake and making sure the car was in the park position or the brakes were on and you were in neutral, and suddenly electrical currents went from a battery through relays, went through the wires in the ignition uh, part of your uh, 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 car, vehicle, and then from there they fired out and went, opened other relays that sent major energy down to a starter motor that then a solenoid kicked out a little wheel that engaged a big wheel that was on the end of that engine that began to make it turn around while simultaneously pistons connected by connecting rods to the crankshaft began to go up and down, and they were all simultaneously timed with intake valves that then brought in fuel that was mixed with air that had been monitored in a fuel injection or a carburation system, or in some cases it was diesel, so it was sprayed in, because the, but the compression was twice the size because diesel takes more compression because it doesn't have spark plugs. It's just got to go off by the pressure, and then that fired those off, that shoved the piston down, which made the other piston on the other side jump back up, and they opened up valves to let the exhaust out of that cylinder and then it closed it as it came down and it sprayed in more fuel mixed with air on that side in the perfect mixture for the altitude at which your car was operating at so the density was correct and then that fired it off on that side and then and then the whole thing starts going at once and then you engage the the the, the transmission which might be a four speed three speed five speed or it might be one of those new seven speed automatics with all this different fluid that goes through so you can't even tell what's going on and then from there it transferred that power out and it went up into a to, to, out into splines that then went out to, might be front-wheel drive, might be rear-wheel drive, might be one of those new cars that's all-time all-wheel drive. And then you took off and you drove. <laughs> now, now let, me, let, me, let me ask the question. Let me ask the question, how many of you seated here, you, you have a perfect understanding of everything I just said about that mechanical process combined with the electrical process combined with the fossil fuel process that happened when you hit the ignition in your car? One, two, three, four, five, a lady there, God bless you, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, this is the, the area that should not be in a vehicle, uh, 15. Now, would you raise your hand again on how many of you drove or you rode in a vehicle here? Oh my God, what are you doing? You don't even know what you're doing out there. <laughs> We've got 15 people here who actually understand the process, and the rest of you, you're out there. That's why it is about faith. You don't have to understand all the mechanics of it for it to work. You just got to drive. <laughs> I, I did that illustration once in Germany. Not, and I don't speak German, you know, and so not knowing that my interpreter... 
who's a very dear friend of mine now, and we've known each other for 30 years, not knowing that my interpreter was famous for not knowing how to do anything with this car. And so when he started translating all this stuff, I do not know what words he used for things. But the place was, I just thought I was, oh, I make joke in foreign language. Because uh, everybody was laughing so hard because of him. But, but you get the point. You don't have to understand how something works to use it. I mean, I eat Chinese food. You ought to see me with chopsticks. Now think about it, when you got saved, what happened? When you said, however you said it, Lord, save me, or, or, or you were led in a prayer that was uh, perfectly biblical, you know, like Pastor Tony at the end of the previous service, you know, led folks in a prayer of, of, of recognizing Jesus as the Lord of their life and receiving Him. And then he just told everyone, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, you know, please, there'll be people uh, to minister to you. Let someone know. And it was, it was a, a, you know, just absolutely correct from a theological standpoint and simple. The prayer he led people in. It was right. Uh, but yet you find this, heaven's so gracious, Jesus is just looking for an excuse to grab you and bring you in. And so, but when you when you acknowledged him, you changed eternity for yourself. And you're the only one who could do it. No one else could make you be saved, but you were the one in charge and you did it. And you now, your natural destiny had been that you would live this life out it would end at some point, your heart would stop beating, your spirit and soul would leave your body, and your natural future is you would have gone to hell. But you change that to a supernatural one by simply agreeing with what God said was the truth. Jesus is Lord, and you agree with him, he's Lord of your life, and God raised him from the dead. Both those things have happened, whether you agree or not, but when you agreed, you changed your future. And now your future is, when this life's over, you go to heaven. You live forever with God. Uh, 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 in eternity where this life, if, 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 if it were a, a one-meter you know, one stick, this life isn't even a scratch on the stick. It's such a short thing. You know, the Bible says this life's just a vapor. And you get to live forever with God. And I'll tell you what, a hundred years from now, everyone who is currently alive on this planet, in 100 years, they will all believe God told the truth. The smart folks go ahead and believe it now. Now, Five steps of working faith. Hear God's word, believe it, agree with it, look at your circumstances as temporary, and you will have it. You'll have what God has promised. So, verse 9, that if you'll confess with your mouth, this is Romans chapter 10, that if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart, 
man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. There's no difference between Jew and the Greek. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then he begins to talk about what, what you know, I uh, present as that five steps. He said, how shall they call on him, uh, on him in whom they've not believed? In other words, they have to be able to believe. How shall they believe in him if they haven't heard? So you got to hear, then you got to believe. And how shall they hear without a preacher? Somebody's got to go tell them. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. For they have not all obeyed the gospel. For uh, Isaiah, or Isaiah saith, the Lord, saith, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, if you would, go with me back to the Old Testament, Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Say it out loud, Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, chapter 30. Deuteronomy. I just like saying it. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, chapter 30. When I was a kid at church, they had, a, they had like a summer Bible school thing, you know, for a week. And, and we would get like a prize if we memorized the books of the Old Testament. And I almost got the prize if it were not for that little book Habakkuk because I grew up where they raised a lot of tobacco and so I went rattling through them and I got to that one instead of Habakkuk I called it tobacco and they wouldn't give me my prize I got a pack of Marlboros but I didn't get the prize <laughs> oh I'm about for uh, uh, just real quick, this is totally off subject, but I'd be remiss if I didn't do it. Debbie, would you stand up? This is my wife, Debbie. <laughs> I, I just wanted y'all to see how I overmarried and uh, got somebody better than I should. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 9. And by the way, she, she took the Marlboros away from me. Uh, verse 9. Verse 9 of Deuteronomy 30 tells what God wants to do for us. And this verse, there's nobody in the room that would not, that would object if God did this for you. You ready? Verse, verse 9. And the Lord thy God will make you plenteous in every work of your hand. In other words, he'll bless everything you put your hand to. He'll, he'll cause it to do well. In the fruit of your body, so he'll bless your family. In the fruit of your cattle, agricultural society, so in all your business endeavors. In the fruit of your land, back to you being blessed financially, all of your, your jobs and your business uh, dealings. For good, for the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over thy fathers. Uh, everybody goes, yeah, I, 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 that sounds wonderful. Then verse 10 says, if, everybody say it out loud, if. Now there's an if in here. I got to do something for this to happen. And that's where most folks take themselves out of the equation and go, I probably don't qualify. So look at the if. If you will hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, keep his commandments and his statutes, 
which are written in this book of the law. And if you'll turn to the Lord thy God with all your heart and with all your soul. So that verse comes along and people say, well, I'm sure I don't qualify. And, and so people come up with a, really a, a set of questions that's common to all humanity of why they're disqualified. And God goes through and answers those questions right up front to let you know you qualify. First question is this one, and it's the one where people go, well, I, 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 Wyatt, I really appreciate you telling me how God wants to bless me, but you have to understand it's just so hard for me to do the will of God and be consistent with it. And I, that, that commandment, whatever it is, I know it'd be hard for me to do it. And it's just, you know, you know, the Bible's mysterious. It's, you don't know, never know what God's going to do. It's just a mystery. It's just a mystery, whatever he's going to do. Oh, it's a mystery. And, uh, and I, I just, I just don't, you just don't know. Just, you just, just hum it, hum it, hum it, you don't know. And so this verse is, next verse is for those folks. It says, for this commandment, which I command you this day, it's not hidden from you neither is it far off. So it's not hard for you. And, and then you got the folks that go, well, I, I know God wants to bless me. I grew up with these people. God wants to bless me, but that doesn't happen until you get to heaven. And when you get to heaven, oh, what a glorious day. Oh, heaven will be wonderful. But while I'm here on the earth, I'm just a worm for Jesus, just dragging through the dust. But one sweet day over in glory, go I know that heaven's going to be wonderful, but till I get there, oh, it's hard making it through this life. Oh, this life is so hard. Next verse is written for those people. <laughs> verse 12, it's not in heaven. <laughs> that you should say, who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it. I used to say, you know, somebody get on the space shuttle, but then America canceled that. So now we got to buy, you know, a seat from the Russians and go up to, at least as close as you can get to heaven, you know, circle the moon or something and see if we can find this commandment. So it's not up there. He said, it's not in heaven that you should say, who should go over there and get it for us. And then you have the third one where folks will say, brother, you know, Wyatt, I, I know you, you're telling me God wants to bless me. Thank you. That's really kind of you, but you don't understand, you know, you're obviously not from here. No joke, Sherlock. Uh, you're obviously not from here. Uh, uh, and so you just don't understand how it is here. I know if I live somewhere else, life is much easier and, and God could bless me. But here, it doesn't matter where I'm at in the world. People go, here. It's just difficult. And, and, it's, it's, and that's nice that you say that, but you're not from here. If I could get somewhere else where it was easier, God could take care of me. But here, next verse is for them. Neither is it beyond the sea. <laughs> that you should say, who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it? Well, what's the key that'll cause all these things that God wants to bless me to happen? Verse 14, but the word is very nigh unto you or near to you even in your heart and in your mouth that thou mayest do it excuse me it says even in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it would you say it out loud the key is putting god's word in my mouth and in my heart that i may do it now let me tell you a story years ago 
uh, you know, uh, Debbie and I have pastored for over 26 years, uh, and we've continued to travel uh, uh, a lot of places around the world during this time, uh, and will always will. But uh, uh, prior to that, there was 11 years where all I did was I was a, a traveling minister, and I'd be a guest at churches, or I'd be in, uh, uh, in other countries having evangelism uh, outreaches or pastors' conferences are speaking in churches in other parts of the world. And so, but there was this one church in the States that I, pro, I, was, I spoke at about every 12 to 16 months. It was in a little tiny country town, very rural country town in, uh, in Texas. And a uh, little tiny, tiny town. I mean, tiny little town. And uh, uh, so I'm, I'm at the church and, and I spoke for a Sunday through a Wednesday this, this, this church was a smaller church, and so they didn't have, you know, it's like, you know, there's, you know, there's people serving in other parts of the church right now as we're in here, and things, special things for the children and nursery and all that. This, this church didn't have any of that. Everybody was in the service. Uh, they just didn't, it wasn't available. And so uh, the service was, the, the, my, my meeting that I was speaking there was a Sunday morning through a Wednesday night. So there was a lady, her husband uh, worked uh, out in the Gulf of Mexico on these offshore oil rigs, and he was out on the oil rig working that week. And, and uh, uh, so she came, and she had a little boy who was six years old. And so just to make it where the little boy could, uh, you know, uh, be in the service and, and not, you know, uh, be okay, you know, just not, not, not uh, bore him to death, uh, she brought crayons and coloring books. So the whole time I'm speaking, they're about third row back in that section, and, and he's laying on the floor, and he's got his coloring book and his crayons. And he's, he's just, you know, doing his thing and making art. And so I'm talking about things like I'm talking about this morning, but I was talking about your imagination, how God gave it to you, and seeing what God sees, and and, uh, uh, and so I'm, I'm, he, he, he's coloring for five services of that. So then I leave and go on. I'm back at that church about 14 months later. And so before I get up to speak, this lady had told the pastor and asked if she could tell the whole church what had happened the last time I was there. And so I sat and I listened. And she just stood up in her seat and told everyone, uh, she said, after I left, her husband got back into town from, you know, doing his, his uh, time out on the oil rig, and, and uh, uh, her husband was putting their little boy to, to, to bed, and, and, he, would, and he, he knelt down beside the bed with his little boy, and he said, well, let's say our prayers. And the little boy said, okay, Dad. So little six-year-old uh, little boy kneels down, and and his father said, is there anything you want to ask the Lord about? Now, this little boy, he was coloring, but he was listening. And so he goes, yeah, Dad. He said, I want to ask the Lord for a new red bicycle. And the dad immediately thought, oh, man, we don't have the money to go buy a new bicycle right now. And so he told his little boy, he said, well, honey, uh, 
mom and your mom, you know, your mom and I, we don't have the money right now to get you a new red bicycle. And the little boy looked at me and said, but dad, I'm not asking you. And he alluded to what he had heard that preacher say. And so the dad goes, oh, okay, 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 then we'll pray. And the dad's thinking, I got to come up with a bicycle. I don't want to hurt my little boy's faith. I mean, what does this preacher do? And so the little boy prays and asks the Lord for a bicycle. Now, now let me ask you a question. Did this little boy actually need a new red bicycle? Would his life have gone on without it? You're not answering me. It would, wouldn't it? In other words, him wanting a new red bicycle would be in the area of something he wanted, not something he had to have. I mean, his parents got him to school. A bicycle was not involved. His parents fed him. A bicycle was not involved. He didn't have to go to the store and bring back the food on a bicycle. It was just something a six-year-old wanted. Somebody say, why are you talking like this? I want to make sure you realize God cares about what you want because he's your father. And he has the cattle on a thousand hills and he's wealthy beyond wealth. And he said, I'll supply all your needs according to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so some time goes by, the bicycle doesn't show up, and, uh, uh, but the little boy, he would go to the front door, and when they opened the front door of the house, he'd point in the front of their home, and, and uh, in the uh, uh, you know, yard there, and he would say, can you see my new red bicycle? And he'd point to this spot. He, and there's nothing there, you know, it's just grass. Oh, it's Texas, it was dirt. And, and he goes, can you see my new red bicycle? My wife's from Texas, so... I'll be in trouble when I leave. Uh, said, see my new red bicycle? And the mom and dad would go, they'd play along. Yeah. We got to get this kid a bicycle. And, uh, and so a, a couple of months go by and his dad's, you know, praying with him at night before he goes to bed. And they're both kneeling down at the little boy's bed. And the dad goes, uh, uh, honey, is there anything you want to ask the Lord about? And the little boy said, no, like, I'm good. <laughs> And so the dad says, do you want to ask him about your bicycle again? And the little boy looked at his dad and said, no, dad, he, he didn't forget. And the dad's like, oh, okay. Another bit of time goes by. And the boy's grandparents, they don't know any of this is going on. And the grandparents have friends that are their age who the grandparents didn't know and the friends of the grandparents didn't know. And so the friends of the little boy's grandparents are out shopping one day. And have you ever come upon a deal that's so good you don't need it, but you have to buy it? I mean, it's just too good of a deal. And so here's, here's these folks of the same age as the grandparents. They're out shopping and they come on a sale on this red bicycle that's been marked down so much, they go, they didn't need it. And they said, but that's too, we need to, we gotta buy it, it's too good of a deal. 
And so they looked at each other and said, who do we know that could use this? And they thought, they said, wait a minute, don't those friends of ours have a grandson that's the right age? This would be a fit for him? And they said, yeah, it would. So they buy this red bicycle, put it in their vehicle, take it back to their house. It takes another few days. They get it over to their friends who are the grandparents of this little boy. And they said, and they tell them the story, hey, we were out, you know, and it was just too good of a deal to pass up. We didn't need it, but we, don't you have, yeah, we do have a grandson. He's the right age. So they give it to their friends. They, they bring it over to the house where the little boy is and they get it out of the car. They don't even tell the, anybody they're coming with it. They're just like dropping by to see their kids and their grandson. They get it out, put it in the front yard, put the stand down, put it up there. It's right where this little boy's been pointing and going, see my new bicycle? And, and, and then they walk in and, uh, and say, hey, go look outside. And they tell the parents what had happened. And the little boy runs to the door, looks down, turns around and looks back at his mom and dad and says, see, I told you he wouldn't forget and runs out and hops on his bicycle and pedals off having fun. You know what that little boy did? He used faith. How hard was it? He didn't sweat. He didn't... He didn't do any of that stuff. He just agreed with God. And, 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 it, and it wasn't something... You can't even find a verse of Scripture in the Bible that says, Thus saith the Lord, I shall give thou a new bicycle. It shall be red if thine has asked in the right way. It's not in there. But you do have Jesus going, whatever you desire, when you pray, believe, you receive it, you shall have it. And that little boy did that. So here in Deuteronomy chapter 30, and, and, and uh, almost finished. You stick with me five minutes? Okay. Deuteronomy 30. Verse 14, but the word is very nigh or near unto you, two places, in your mouth and in your heart, that thou mayest do it. See, I've set before you this day life and good, death and evil, in that I command you this day to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest, in other words, you get to, you may live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless you in the land where you go to possess it. But if you don't buy into this, if you turn your heart away so that you will not hear and you be drawn away and you worship other gods or other ways of thinking and serve them, I denounce or I make a public announcement to you this day that you'll surely perish. You won't live as long as you were intended to. You shall not prolong your days upon the land when you, whether you pass over Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I've set before you life and death blessing and cursing. Say it out loud. Life and death. Blessing and cursing. Then he tells them what to pick. He says, therefore, choose life. I, I was in my late teens before I even knew, even though I grew up in church, I didn't know I got to pick. I thought that was something God just picked for you. And if something bad happened, you know, you didn't know why, but surely God had some reason for it. And then I go to the Bible and find out, no, he said, pick life. How do I pick it? By believing what he said about me in my heart. But I got to hear it first before I can believe it. And then say it out of my mouth. Agree with him. 
and then his word will come to pass for my life. You know, I, 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 you know, see me, I, I wear readers, okay? But when I was in my early, when I was like 12, I was diagnosed with being nearsighted, so I couldn't see at a distance. Uh, when I was 19, I found out that Jesus was my healer, and so I started using my faith and talking to my eyes. It was a five and a half month process for me. But then I went, it was the day I had to go to the government building and get my driving license renewed. And the man said, step over here and, and look in the machine that checks your eyes. And he said, read line seven. Now this guy was like a lot of people that work at government offices. You could tell he wasn't really happy about his career choice. <laughs> he said, read line seven. And so I took my, my glasses for, you know, for long vision off and I looked in and I'd been for, you know, uh, for several months going, Father, thank you for healing my eyes and I receive perfect vision in Jesus' name. I looked in, you know, line one was at the top of the big letters. Time you got down to line seven, they were real tiny. And I looked in and they were all blurry. And then like you snap your fingers, they suddenly were in perfect vision. Now that guy, I read off line seven. He had worked there for probably 20 years. Never saw anybody get excited on line seven. <laughs> he probably came around later to check his machine to see if somebody had done something to the card. But I turned around and I looked outside. It was the summertime. Uh, I, I looked outside and the trees were not just green. They had leaves. The world had detail. And I looked across the, the street there. It was in a city area. I could read the signs. And since then, because, you know, being a pilot, they test my eyes regularly because uh, that's, like, important. And, <laughs> and the best my eyes have ever tested was they actually tested 2010, you know. And, and the doctor goes, wow, that's the best anyone's ever had uh, vision in my, I've ever tested, you know, with pilots. And I said, well, to tell you the truth, I can see the underneath, it was the smallest line they had, I can see underneath where this card was made in China and the, those letters are half the size of your smallest line. He goes, you can see that? I go, yeah. I said, and then I looked at him and said, and that's real special to me because I, I was, uh, you know, nearsighted. I couldn't see the distance. He said, well, what happened? I said, oh, Jesus healed me. He said, okay, your, your appointment's up. You can go now. <laughs> but my destiny was to have to have glasses for all reading. Somebody said, well, why you got the readers? Because I, I, I didn't even apply it when I hit a certain age. It was like, ah, I'm getting old. And so I'm like an example of both things. I changed my future on one thing, and the other thing, I just kind of let it slide. Are you with me? But God has a big life for us. And that's why the last verses over in the book of 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might be rich. Notice the way it sets it up. He was rich, he left heaven, he became here as a human being, he became poor, that we through his poverty might be rich. 
In other words, he was here, he lowered himself to our position, and then he raised us up with him so that we might be rich. He was rich, he became poor, that we through his poverty might be rich. The same language is used in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. It says, for he has made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus, who was ultimate righteousness, came here to the earth, lowered himself, took on all of our sin and paid the price for it. Then he was raised to be seated at the right hand of the Father and he's righteous again and he took us with him so that we can now be righteous. And then we have it over in, in 2 Peter chapter, or excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. And so Jesus, who never ever knew sickness in heaven, he came here to the earth, lived free of sickness and disease, but yet when he went to the cross, he took all of our sickness and disease upon him, and with his stripes, we were healed. And he raised us up so we could have divine health. So we were poor, he became poor. But when he raised himself up, when the Holy Spirit raised him up, he was restored to being rich again, and he brought that to us, and we were raised up with him. He who knew no sin, he became sin. So when he was raised up from the dead and restored to his righteousness so that we could be the righteousness of God in him. And he who was, didn't know any sickness or disease on that cross, he took all sickness and disease. And when he was raised up out of that grave, he was raised up, conquered sickness, disease, death in the grave and raised us up with him so that we can stand in his name and be free from sickness and disease. He changed our natural future to a supernatural future. And the key to receiving it is simply to find out what he said about us. Go ahead and believe he told the truth and then dare to agree with him and watch your circumstances change. Amen. Father, I pray your blessing over this people. I declare your life over this people. May these words tattoo to our heart. You've made it so simple that, that children can change their destiny. I did it as a child with my salvation. And you never ever made it complicated because your heart was to reach us, to help us. And so thank you. And thank you for your spirit living big on the inside of every single person here. And for you changing destinies now. With your eyes closed, will you say it out loud? Father, I receive your word. I choose to believe it. I will agree with you. I will act upon it. I will declare what you've said about me because it is so. And my circumstances have no choice. They must change and come in line with you. Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at church at If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at rhema.org.au.